With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. are underway and DraftKings is bringing you to the podium. DraftKings free-to-play pools are available every day of the games in Tokyo and offering a free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes. That's up to $50,000 up for grabs and the best part is it's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app now, go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $50,000 in total cash prizes every day of the games in Tokyo. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Hello everyone, my name is Ryan Stacey and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Matt Prefontaine, video and analytics coach with the Winnipeg Jets. Matt is driven and has a tremendous amount of hockey knowledge, which is on full display throughout this interview. With that, here is Matt Prefontaine, video and analytics coach with the Winnipeg Jets. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Matt Prefontaine, video and analytics coach with the Winnipeg Jets. Matt, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited for the next uh, little bit of time we have together. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's it's always interesting to get an NHL coach, and uh, we just had a, kind of a conversation there, and it, you know, we have a lot of connections, a lot of overlap, uh, some mutual connections, and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, a lot to unpack here, and a lot of great lessons. I think listeners are going to learn from your story. But first and foremost, let's learn more about you personally. Talk about your upbringing, and this kind of some more information on you. Yeah, so I'm uh, pretty lucky because uh, I get to work in the NHL in my hometown. And there's some good things to that and some, some maybe some negative things to that. But uh, I'm from Winnipeg originally. 
So I grew up in Winnipeg and then, uh, about age 12, we moved outside of the city, a bit north of the city. Um, so I'm born and born and bred here, left for a little while, but came back. Um, when I was young, I was pretty involved in sports. My parents had me involved in quite a bit, quite a variety of things. So I was involved in sports. So I played soccer, um, and hockey growing up, uh, you know, all the way till I was 18. Um, did uh, some music and played the saxophone and did those kind of things uh, through school. When I got to high school, I played high school football. So I played football through uh, three years of high school and badminton and did some track through through shot puts and discuses and those kind of things um, and, and played sports pretty much growing up. Was never, you know, overly good at any of it. Uh, actually, football, I was probably would have been what I was best at uh, through high school. Um, but I was pretty undersized in the position I played. So I played on the line and played uh, offense and defensive line, but I was pretty small comparatively. Um, but enjoyed sports all through my life. Um, and then uh, also was pretty big into technology growing up too. Um, so now I'm in a position <laughs> where I'm combining technology and sports together, which is uh, pretty uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, almost a, a dream scenario for you, kind of being able to infuse the love for sports, uh, technology, and then in your hometown, like you said, that can be good and bad. But, um, you know, it's always interesting to to hear the, the early experiences and the different sports you're involved in and, and just kind of see how that progressed throughout your career, um, you know, being the base of, and foundation of, of kind of your interests. And like a lot of people, um, you know, when you enjoy sports and, and that's really your passion, you might look to uh, pursue a degree in, in sports or something in recreation. And for you, you actually were like me and went to Brock in the sport management program. So maybe just talk about the decision to make that move to Ontario and then just your experience uh, with that program. Yeah. So the decision came, um, abruptly, uh, I was actually focused on science. Um, and it's, it, you know, with COVID being a thing now and being a, a big issue worldwide, for the last, you know, however many months it's been, um, I was in microbiology and I was actually at the university of Manitoba and I was in a microbiology program. Um, and when I was doing that, I had growing up, I was also a timekeeper, um, for hockey. So I never really wanted to get into refing cause I didn't really like the idea of being, uh, being yelled at by a whole bunch of fans, um, or parents. And, uh, so I did some timekeeping and what ended up happening when I was in university, um, the moose were in town, obviously the jets had moved out and the moose were in the American hockey league. And this was in 2006, I believe. Um, they had some openings for off ice officials. So, uh, got in contact with, um, Scott Brown, who was there, who's still there actually with the jets is, uh, in their communications department and, um, became an off ice official. And I started to just kind of get a glance at working in hockey. And then I saw all these people working in hockey and I was like, I was not aware of this, uh, as a profession before. Um, and then I got involved a little bit on the technical side because the American hockey league started tracking time on ice and they didn't have a system to do it. They tried to do it. Um, and it just didn't work. Um, so there was a, another office official and his son who kind of set up an Excel program to do it. Um, that was okay. But then I took the Excel, um, basically program to track time on ice and made it work. Um, and so I got to kind of do, so then I was tracking time on ice with something that I created, which was kind of neat. 
Um, it, it was my first kind of idea of it. And then I started thinking about the idea of, um, maybe this is a job that I could go into. Maybe this is a career. I didn't know what exactly. Um, but I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I started looking around and uh, I found Brock, a sport management program and really was the only undergrad at the time that was even available in Canada. Um, and, uh, I sent in an application on a whim, uh, kind of, I think it was February ish sometime in the, in the winter and got accepted. And, um, my wife was my girlfriend then and my parents, and I kind of sat them down and I think, think it might've been all at the same time. I can't recall. Um, but I was like, Hey, I'm going to move to Ontario. Um, and I'm going to go into sport management and I'm not going to be in science anymore. And science was a career path. I was going to be a microbiologist when I was uh, seven years old. Um, so this was like an abrupt change in kind of where I was going. So that, that was kind of the long, uh, the, or sorry, that was the path that took me to make that decision to move to, to Ontario and then got to Brock and got into the sport management program, which was, uh, which was a good time. As you know, you were in that program. Um, Obviously you got some recognition because of Kyle Dubas going through that program as well. And they've produced a lot of people in a lot of different places in sport. Um, they've done a really good job of, uh, of doing that. And so I got out there and, and decided to, you know, I'm just going to move out there and get into the program and see where, see where it goes. Yeah. And I think the decision, uh, paid off with the, the experiences that followed, but, uh, I think one thing that a lot of people don't really realize is, uh, you know, it's, it's a big decision to kind of make a move like that. You know, you came from Manitoba, I came from Newfoundland, um, moving anywhere, uh, to pursue school in a, in a field that, as we kind of talked about earlier as well, is, is not always the easiest is a lot of hours, all these different things that you really have to kind of see if it's worth it or not. And, uh, ultimately you decide that that was the decision you, you want to make and that's the direction you want to go in and. Uh, with the Brock program, one of the requirements or one of the opportunities at the end of the program is an internship. And for you, that was at the AHL level with Rockford um, in a broadcast intern role. So maybe just talk about um, how you ultimately found that opportunity and then how that experience was uh, for your development in the game, albeit uh, not originally on the, the hockey ops side. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you talk about career paths and it's, it's um, you know, I'm in the NHL. And to get there, it took a whole bunch of little steps to get there and, and kind of already started the, the, the path, or we've started along that path and get to Ontario and I'm at Brock and I was pretty willing to work for free. Um, I know that there's, you know, mixed opinions on whether you should do that or not. Um, for me, it worked out. Um, I ended up going to Brock, working there or going to school. And then I ended up doing an internship, uh, in Hamilton. So it was working in the communications department, got more exposed to that side of things. And I like communication. So I thought, Hmm, this is interesting. Uh, maybe I can go down that route. Um, and so I got exposed to that. And then I started talking to our, um, Sean Whiteley, who is our sports information, uh, director of sports information at Brock for athletic department. And, uh, we started talking about setting up a stream of some of the Brock athletics and specifically hockey, because I was interested in the hockey team. Um, and he was like, yeah, sure. So we ended up going out to Seymour Hanna arena in St. Catharines and, um, cobbled together a broadcast where we had a camera and we, um, had audio and play by play and color. And it got to the point where we had, um, 
graphics. Um, we had a scoreboard and clock and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I was really interested in that because I really liked the technical side of it. I liked the side of streaming uh, video. It was pretty new. Then we were the only ones in the CIS that were doing really anything like it, um, at the time. And, but then I was also working with the hockey side. So I got to combine the two things and I got to work with, uh, so Jake Parkhill and Derek Siggs were the two guys that I was doing that with there. Um, and we had a pretty good setup. We got featured on the front page of Ustream at one point during our broadcast. And there was 40,000 people, um, watching a Brock hockey game, um, where we were doing stuff. And I, and that was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool experience. So then I thought, well, you know, communications is interesting. The broadcasting part's interesting. Um, there was a potential internship with Brock TV to do that, to continue on doing that. Um, so that was an option. And then out of nowhere, I saw a radio broadcast internship with the Rockford Ice Hogs. And it was again, one of those decisions. Normally it's funny because I'm a pretty thorough person. I'm pretty, um, I research things pretty, maybe over research things when I'm making decisions on buying stuff and things like this. But in these couple of situations, I did enough research, but I made the decision pretty quickly. Um, so I applied with the ice hogs and did an interview with Mike Peck, who was their broadcaster then. And it was a whirlwind, um, you know, get hired, figure out visa. That was an interesting thing, figuring out going to work in the U S as a Canadian, um, not getting paid again. So that was one aspect that made it easier, but I was on a student visa down there. Um, and never been on the radio before. Um, <laughs> I've been on some streams, but never had any formal radio experience. And I was going to be their in-studio radio host for all their, for all their games. Um, so again, I didn't have any of the real you know, requisite experience, I would guess, but, um, I was pretty open to learning it and, uh, that's, that's where I ended. That's how I ended up in Rockford. Yeah. Another interesting story there, just, uh, kind of how you, you made your way there and, um, you know, the, the theme of the story and the theme of, it seems like a lot of people's story is opportunities come out of nowhere and you kind of just have to jump at it or. Uh, or it's going to pass you by, and and sure enough, like you said, you're you're very uh, diligent in in your research. But another opportunity comes, and and here you are going to the U.S. and working out the visa and all those fun things that a lot of people uh, know is not always easy to deal with. And uh, so as you kind of continue in that opportunity, again, as you told me earlier, um, instead of heading back to Brock, you end up staying on with Rockford, and this time making the move to video coach on the hockey operations side. Uh, you know, that's that's usually not the pathway we see from broadcasting to, to hockey operations, but it worked in this scenario. So maybe talk about that transition and then uh, the task of, of kind of learning to code and, and do some of the other video coaching uh, specific roles at the AHL level. I think the interesting thing about um, not starting in the NHL and starting at lower levels potentially is that you get to work with a whole bunch of different people. Um, you might wear a lot of hats and what was interesting for me as being the broad, being a broadcast intern, I got to interact with everybody. So I got to really get a taste of all the different jobs, but specifically with the coaching staff, um, because I would do interviews with the coaching staff. Um, so I would start to interview them and then you get to know people, right? So you're building up a level of trust. And I think trust is a very important thing when you're working pe with people in any profession. Um, so you start to work up some trust with people and it just so happened that, um, the coaches found out that I was pretty decent with computers. Um, and they needed a new practice plan one day. So they needed a, they wanted a template for a practice plan. 
So I was like, okay, I asked them what they wanted. They had a sheet and they gave it to me and I built it in Excel in five minutes and printed off a copy and gave it to them. I'm like, what do you think about this? And they're like, wow, that was really fast. That was awesome. Um, and so this is as, this is about midway through the season. So I got to know them over a couple of months, you know, December, January, they're kind of the idea of, Hey, you could help me with this. This would be awesome. Uh, comes up and, uh, then those requests started coming in more often. Hey, can you do this thing? Hey, could you do this thing? Like, can you help me out with this random tech thing? Which, um, is definitely a part of being in video <laughs> at any level is you kind of become the de facto tech guy. Um, which I think for me, that works all well, cause I have an interest in, in solving those kind of problems, but I started doing that kind of stuff and got a good, decent relationship with the coaching staff. And, uh, at the end of the season, they were looking for a new video coach and my name came up, um, you know, from just the interactions with the guys that were there. Um, and Ted Dent was taking over as a head coach at that time and, uh, interviewed with Ted and got the job again, no experience being a video coach. Um, but I had a willingness to learn and I dedicated a lot of time. So I was actually working. So I went back home from my internship in the summer and didn't know a hundred percent what was going on. It was a pretty exciting time because the jets were in the return phase, um, getting announced. And I was out, um, working at a provincial park in Manitoba. So I did that actually for a long time in the summers. I worked uh, at a campground on the maintenance staff. So I get to drove, drive tractors and do all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I didn't exactly know what my next step was, but that all kind of went through. And um, as the Jets were returning, or, or before the Jets returned, I got offered the job and I was thinking, wow, I'm going to go now live in Rockford, you know, actually get paid to be there, do this job. There was no NHL team in Winnipeg. Um, and then a couple weeks after I get the job there, the Jets are announced they return. I was like, wow, that's interesting. Maybe I, maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll work there someday. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I'm out basically working, um, in the middle of nowhere at this provincial campground and I get a laptop shipped to me from the Blackhawks with nothing on it, video, some games on it and a program called sports code. And then I sit down and try to figure out what I'm supposed to do with it. Um, uh, luckily for me, they have some really good folks at, um, sports it used to, it was sports tech at the time it's huddle now that I got to connect with and talk to them a little bit about just the basic operations of it. I didn't have internet and I couldn't go on to the, I couldn't go on to YouTube. YouTube really wasn't, um, used for that kind of thing then even, or for those kind of tutorials then. Um, but I kind of just sat down and messed around with, uh, how to work the program, got familiar with it and then talked to, you know, the coaching staff, kind of what they wanted from me, um, and kind of developed a game plan over the summer before I went back to Chicago or back to Chicago and then Rockford to kind of get the season started. No, that's, that's interesting because I think a lot of video coaches, uh, even the ones that, you know, maybe have had some prior experience going into a new team, you know, there's always different um, things that they want tracked, or maybe you're going from one program to another, and there's always these transitions. So having someone who who didn't have that experience, like you said, very tech savvy, but still not having the the very specific um, hockey coding background, uh, you know, there's that the process of learning, and it's great that you had the support and everything uh, there early on from day one. And and you talk about uh, you know thinking maybe the Jets could be an opportunity for you, and eventually that would come. But before then you would spend some time in Rockford in that role. And 
around that time, it was a very interesting uh, situation in Rockford because the, the Chicago Blackhawks were kind of in their uh, their prime with with their kind of cup runs and, and their dominance in the league. So uh, because of the cap crunch, you're actually seeing a lot of players go from Rockford uh, to the NHL. You know, the players that I saw on the list were Philip Dano, um, you know, Shaw, Peary, uh, Carter Hutton, and Kruger, all these different guys that would go on to make the NHL. Just talk about um, what you've seen in Rockford during that time from the, uh, the player development standpoint and just talk about some of those players uh, who were able to um, you know, interact with you on a daily basis. Yeah. And kind of going back to the, the idea of kind of coming with a no experience, like the American league is obviously a great developmental league. A lot of players have developed there and, and that's where I developed. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time learning and, uh, I think Ted, one of the first times that we really talked, he told me that being a, he was a video coach, so he understood. Um, he had done it with tape in Washington. He was using VHS tapes in the early 2000s. Um, so he had a little bit different lens, but um, he, his thing was being a video coach is like getting your master's in hockey. So I knew hockey to a certain extent, but certainly the structure of hockey wasn't, uh, wasn't as knowledgeable in the structure of hockey then. Um, so I got a lot of time to develop. We sat on a bus a lot of time, sat on buses a lot, um, and then got to really understand sports code, understand what the coaches wanted to mark and those kind of things from a system standpoint, how to identify that quickly. Um, and then getting into the player side of things, like I said, the development of the players at the time was really, really important for the Blackhawks to, you know, continue to have success. Um, and obviously that goes to how they brought the players into the organization, but I think we played a role in that as well. Um, we were in a hundred percent developmental phase there. Winning was something that you always wanted to do because I think when you're, we're all competitive and when you're in that environment, you want to win. Um, but we knew that winning for us wasn't just winning games. It was also getting guys to contribute to the Blackhawks or, you know, creating assets to the Blackhawks that could, that they could use, um, to bring in things to win. And, and, you know, ultimately at the, while I was there, they, we won the Stanley cup in 2013. Um, and seeing all those guys that were involved in that run was, was awesome. And you, you named some of the, the people, it's interesting, the names that you have there, because, um, these guys all have some interesting things in common in terms of, they're really good people and they're really hard workers and they really cared about um, what they were doing, trying to get better. Um, you know, Andrew Shaw came in when I was there and he was a rookie. So, and at that time I was 24, I was a lot closer to the age of the players then when they were coming in, he was a little bit older because um, being undrafted. Um, so I had a good connection with, uh, with Shaw's right off the bat. He came in on an American league contract and he was just a guy that you just loved for every reason because he was such a hard worker. Um, he would do anything for the team. It wasn't about him. You know, it, it, it's a cliche in hockey to, to do that, but he was really a guy that it, it wasn't about him becoming, um, it wasn't about his, what his individual goals necessarily were. They were still there. He wanted to get better in those things, but the team was a first thing for him. Um, and midway through the season, he got signed to an NHL deal because he, he was that good in the American league on those levels and the coaches loved him. And they, uh, he got up there. He was really good in training camp too. And then he joined the, the Blackhawks and that was the last time we ever saw him in Rockford. Um, 
you're just such a good good player. And you look at the other guys on that list too, Marcus Kruger, just a guy that worked so hard um, and wanted to be good at things. Uh, Carter Hutton might be one of the the best guys I've ever met in hockey. Uh, unbelievable person, aside from being uh, you know one of the best puck handlers in the NHL. Um, really good, really good guy. Um, Philip Deneau, who's obviously played a large, large role in in Montreal, getting to where they were this year. Um, you could see kind of glimpses of what kind of player he could be, but there was a guy that you look at his post-game press conferences in the playoff run and he's got a smile on his face. You know, that's the same smile he had coming in uh, to play with us. So they just all had the right mentality of um, the right mentality. And the, the interesting thing about at the American league level is that guys, the best players in the American league, don't always want to be in the American league. And it makes sense uh, because they want to be in the NHL. Um, But there's a bit of a process to getting there. Um, And the guys that understand that faster um, excel more, excel quickly. There's a lot of guys that are actually very talented players in the American league that for whatever reason, they can't break into the NHL. Sometimes it's that mentality of, um, you know, why did this guy get called up before me or, or whatever that situation is, the guys that kind of, kind of block that out and focus on themselves and, and be a good teammate, I think get there quicker. And all those guys did a really good job of, of doing that. Yeah. And, and just kind of building off of that point, you know, everybody sees the AHL as a skill development league before an AHL, but just from your point there and talking about all those players, it's uh, it's very much building that mindset that I think that's really big development piece we see from the AHL to the NHL. And um, it's definitely the same thing from junior jumping into that pro game. You know, there's a, there's a maturity level that needs to be uh, built on and kind of developed over time. And, and definitely we've seen it with all those players. And um, I think that's a, a, a great point you made there. What's really interesting to that point is that um, exactly what you said is that kind of developing maturity level. Um, we started the season and we struggled. Uh, we had very young teams uh, the whole time I was there. We had some veterans, but we had predominantly young players and a lot of a lot of players that were just moving from junior into professional hockey, but talent and skill. Um, and we started poorly. <laughs> November was not a good month for us, almost all three seasons I was there. But from January on, we typically were one of the best teams in the American League. Our records were really, really good. Um, we never made the playoffs because our the start of our kind of seasons were not great, um, but the progress those guys made from game one to game seventy six um, at that point in the in the AHL was was impressive because we had you always felt great at the end of the season because despite not making the playoffs, you could see how we transitioned as a team and how these guys kind of grew into these roles uh, of how of how they played and then watching the Blackhawks in the playoffs and having those guys contribute. And I know I, I can vividly remember Ben Smith scoring um, against Vancouver in, in uh, one of the playoff runs. And I was at home and I, I was at home at that time uh, living with my parents still. And it was late because it was, a va- it was in van. And I remember watching the game with my dad and then like just instinctively like yelling and it's 11 o'clock at night. And my dad kind of looks at me, he's like, your mom's sleeping back there. Um, got to keep it down, but I was so excited to see Smitty, who was a great, another great guy, um, contribute in the NHL because I knew how good of a guy he was, how hard he worked, how much time he put into it, and then to see that contribution was, it was a pretty good feeling. 
yeah, you build such strong relationships with these players, and uh, you know that's evident in your reaction there, like you said, uh, eleven o'clock at night at home. But um, you know, it, it's great to to see all those players go on to the next level, and it's even um, an added bonus when the organization can see the hockey operations staff make that jump as well. And for you, um, that wouldn't be with Chicago, but it would ultimately be able to go back to your home team in Winnipeg. So. Just talk about the, the process of moving into the Jets organization and the opportunity to work at the NHL level in your hometown. Yeah, it's again, it goes back to that series of events and, and how things happen. And um, so I really dove into Sports Code, which is the software that we use for um, tagging things. And even in a, in a fairly short period of time, um, just with the relationship I established with the guys at um, – sports tech at the time um and then going to conf going to the conference kind of yearly and interacting with different people there i kind of got a little bit of a reputation of being pretty good with the software and what ended up happening was the winnipeg jets um tony borgford was the video coach that moved from atlanta and he'd been with atlanta for a long time i think when they started in 99 um, so he'd been in the nhl for a long time and he was looking to potentially switch um, software that we were using. So I was home in the summer and, um, he got my information, um, from some of the guys at huddle and they said, Hey, meet up with uh, Matt. He's in Winnipeg. Um, and I ended up going out to their dev camp and meeting with him and talking about sports code and, you know, saying, Hey, I, I like it because of these reasons. I, you know, I didn't exactly know, um, Exos is what they were using at the time. And, uh, he was great to talk to and that was kind of it um they ended up switching to sports code um which you know i i feel like i played a little bit of a role in that in that transition um but they made the decision to switch over to that and uh that ultimately helped me in the long run um because i was actually back at the conference uh, they force uh, sports tech would have a conference in vegas every summer so I was down in Vegas and I was actually, I wasn't doing a presentation. That was the next season, but I was there and all of a sudden I got a phone call from our GM uh, in Rockford saying, Hey, the Winnipeg Jets want to talk to you about a potential job. Um, and I'm, this is, you know, in the middle of a conference. I'm going, wow, that's pretty crazy. 10 minutes later, I got a call from Kevin Chevaldeoff saying, Hey, um, Paul Maurice would like to give you a call. We're looking for a video coach. Um, Tony had ended up uh, going to Stockton, he wanted to try and get on the bench. Um, so he was, he was looking at maybe getting on the bench and that opened up an opportunity because I knew sports code. Um, well, um, they were looking for somebody who could operate this stuff. Um, and the huddle guys were like, Hey, you should check him out. Tony, uh, threw my name out there as well. And I got a call and, um, that was on a Wednesday. I flew home on a Thursday from the conference, uh, interviewed with Paul Maurice on a Friday. Um, and got hired on Friday. Um, so it was, a it was a pretty crazy, um, you know, few days in terms of how that progression happened. And, and, you know, I never, I never expected to work for the Jets. I thought, you know, it's a pipe dream maybe to, to be able to do that. And, uh, lo and behold, after three seasons in the American league, I'm now working in the NHL, uh, in my hometown, uh, which is pretty, sur pretty surreal. Yeah, incredible story. And, you know, just taking in the presentations, all of a sudden you get a call from your team. And so you get a call from the GM and the next day you're on a flight back for an interview. And, uh, you know, no one can really prepare you for this. And, and as, you know, as proficient as you were in the uh, in the software and just understanding systems in the game, I'm sure it was still a, 
a learning curve and an adjustment for you, especially going into a new organization for the first time after that initial uh, video coaching position. Uh, you know, looking at your role today, maybe walk people through a week in your position, uh, maybe in the season, just to, to give a little more context and just talk about some of the tasks associated with the video coaching role at the NHL level. Yeah, it was an interesting transition. I think the um, you kind of touched on it earlier, going from junior to the American leagues, a transition for players, going from the AHL to the NHL, the transition. It's the same for you know, from my perspective, being on the on the you know coaching or hockey operations side. Um, it was a change. Uh, <laughs> I think the biggest change uh, making that move was a schedule. You know, the American League is very, or at that time, was a lot more weekend heavy. Um, you'd play three and threes on the weekend and you might have a midweek game or something like that, but it was very much more focused on the weekends where the NHL, it was consistent. Um, you were playing every second day for months and months. Um, and you had some three day, you know, two or three day blocks, but for the most part, once the season started in, in training camp, um, you were going and, and you were going until you, you know, hopefully won the Stanley cup. Um, that schedule was, was pretty shocking. And then learning, the, the systems to the level that I needed to learn them in the NHL to be proficient at identifying those things. Yeah. So Paul was great. Um, cause the expectation coming in was obviously being proficient with the software and, and the technology side of it and making sure that the coaches all had what they needed and then learning the hockey side along the way and, and learning from, uh, individual who has been involved in hockey for a really long time and a professional and, and a head coach, um, for a really long time, you know, I'm making the transition at, 27 uh 28 into the video coaching job in the in the uh nhl and he made the coach transit head coach transition at 28 which is mind-blowing um being somebody who did it in a in a much less uh critical position it's uh it's pretty pretty crazy to think about but i understand why now after working for with with him for this long um but that learning that hockey knowledge took a long time because what it did was uh you had to, I'd spent a lot more time in games. So my first season I came in, I was involved. I was basically in charge of all the pre-scout. So how that would work is I would watch, um, generally three games was, was enough, kind of the most recent three games of a team. And at that time we would, I would cut them up and then I would create a package that would be an edit of what I thought was important systematically theme wise of the teams. And then I would give that to Paul and Paul would kind of cut that down to what he wanted to really hone in on a specific team. And then he would present that to the team. So I was directly involved in that, um, pre-scouting process. My, my jobs evolved a bit, um, since that first year. Um, but it was, it was pretty intense because of the schedule. Um, you know, if you ever got behind on what you were doing, that was not good because it was almost impossible to catch up. Um, but it, the, the typical structure there, and a lot of teams do it that way, is that their video coach, um, you know, kind of creates those edits on those pre-scouts, and that's a large component of what their job is. And then however they do that, some video guys in the NHL will present that to the players themselves. Some will pass that off. Some will pass kind of cut games to the other coaches where they'll make edits out of it. Um, it's kind of different, uh, different situations like that. Um, now a week in my life is a little bit different. Although a week in the NHL is, is a long time. Um, when you, when you think about it in terms of how we operate, um, I kind of think of my, my schedule as game day, practice day, off day and off day means player off day. Uh, and that's kind of four of those are mandatory a month for the players. Um, but that's kind of how my 
life revolves around when I think about what's happening. Um, so now I have a lot more involvement in, um, and something that I did to start, I guess, with learning the software was one of the important things or one of the really key things with sports code is the ability to tie video and numbers together. Um, and having direct, the ability to give direct feedback, um, on something that you're tracking to somebody who may not have under necessarily understood just a number on paper. Um, so what you can do is I can create some pretty interesting reports with some pretty rich data, um, that at that time was pretty uh, manually tracked, but, um, the video is right there. So when you're get, when you're giving something, something you can explain to it, but they can also visually see it. So that was something that I was pretty proficient in. Um, so now I actually have a job where I can combine the two of them daily, um, where I'm using different information, um, whether it's video or data, and I combine them into, uh, in various different ways to give insight into our hockey team. Um, and that's from, a who we're going to play perspective, how we're playing, how we're playing on the course of the season, looking over trends, season to season. Um, so a, a day in the life for me, there's certain different kind of blocks of time that I have in a morning I would come in. Our coaches are pretty early risers. Um, um, they're normally working out by five 30 in the morning. Um, I get there a little bit later than that generally, especially now that I have some, uh, I have a couple kids, um, try to, generally at least at some days say hi to them in the morning before I leave. So I'll get to the rink around seven ish between six forty five and seven thirty. Um and then typically for me as I'll take a look at the games that were played last night, um I'll make sure the coaches all get those. We have a way of taking some of the um third party track data and 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 bringing it into our video. So it makes our pre-scouting process a lot easier. Um so we have specific things that we have built out that we can track specific events and it's all kind of pre-marked and it takes me, you know, five to seven minutes to have a game fully packaged and ready to go to the coaches so I can move that out to them directly. Um, and that's kind of the first thing I do in the morning. Then the, then it's now I'm going to look at typically if we played the night before, I'm looking at what happened the night before, which I've probably done a little bit um, post game. But I'm going to do kind of look through our reporting, look through some of the video, um, and create something to give to the coaches that I think is valuable from the from the night before. And then at that point, you're looking to then take something from the opposition. So again, you're looking. I'm combing through. Um, I'm using data a lot to um, to point me in directions to be efficient at what I do. Um, because efficiency is really important when you're on a tight time schedule and um, the data that we get and that we process internally um, really helps me to pinpoint on things that makes my time makes it a lot uh, makes my makes it a lot more efficient use of my time um, so I know that's kind of a, a little bit of a jumbled day by day and it's not super specific but it's uh, there's a certain fluctuation that happens but that's kind of the general operation of how my day goes no, I think the answer was great, honestly. And I think it also just kind of goes to show the the nature of hockey. It's very early mornings and um, no day is really the same as structured and as, uh, you know, efficient as you try to make it. There's always things that come up and, um, you know, different teams every night. Uh, it always changes kind of the, the approach and 
you know, when you're in a situation where you're playing the same team as opposed to playing, you know, teams from the other conference that you only see a couple times a year, it's probably going to, you know, you're going to need a little bit longer to kind of go through that. And uh, it might be a good time to transition into a listener question. Um, you know, looking at the last season, uh, you know, the COVID situation in the NHL, you obviously did not see as many teams as you usually would. Um, maybe talk about some of the pros and cons of pre-scouting when you're only playing a limited number of teams and uh, how many or how much, I should say, of the other divisions where you're able to take in and uh, maybe in preparation for playoff series and things like that. Yeah, it was totally changed the structure of things and how we operate. Um, from a from a pre-scouting standpoint, you know, you're doing your typical pre-scout and how that would look or your typical kind of information gathering about the opposition um, in your first couple games. And then when you're playing back-to-back, you know, what you're looking at is what kind of adjustment and you're, you're generally focused, you know, you're, you can't fix everything. So you're looking at what did we either, what is the one or two things we've, we need to improve on? What are the one or two things that we need to reinforce that we did well? Um, and, and you're making pretty limited changes, you know, game to game because there's just not enough time, especially on the back to back. So the nature of the, some of that this year was a little bit different. Um, playing the teams a lot really cut down on the time that you invested in because once you get to game, I mean, really game, <laughs> the third game of the season after playing a team, you, you really know generally what they're going to do. There's kind of tweaks in terms of certain things that happen, you know, say in a face-off situation or, you know, special teams is a little bit different because teams kind of change that up all the time. Um, but it, it changed that because you really, really knew the teams. Um, and it was great <laughs> from that standpoint, it might've been one of the, one of the few positive things to come out of the, you know, out of COVID that, you know, obviously a lot of people had, um, a lot of issues with, uh, over the last year, but it was, it was, a it was totally different experience because you were able to just concentrate on, you knew what you were going to get from that team. Um, and you could, there's a, you, not that you don't in the, in a regular NHL season, but you could, there's more time, there was more time to focus on you and the opposition was less, there was less of, you didn't have to worry about the opposition. So you just got extra time to focus on your, on your own team, um, which really helped in the long run to, you know, worry about the things that on your team, you just had more time to do it. Um, so it was, it was a good experience. I think from, um, just a logistics standpoint, being able to stay in a city, um, for more than 48 hours, in some cases, you know, 36 hours was pretty, pretty good time, even though we weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um, you know, just inside the hotel, but the idea for me of not having to pack up all my stuff after a game and you could just sit it, let it sit there. And typically we flew out the next day, even after games. So we weren't leaving right away, uh, to the next place we were playing just cause the, the nature of our schedule was just so compacted, you know, we weren't really going to skate on a lot of those days anyways. Um, that part made it a lot better too, because after the game, you could actually kind of sit and, um, ingest all the things were going on on the road. It's, it's, uh, it's a mad sprint. Um, you know, most people, you know, people get, have got more exposed to it now because teams have, have shown that they work that the equipment guys and medical staff do kind of behind the scenes at the end of a game. Um, but we're out of a building 40 minutes after, you know, the whistle goes. So, you know, I have a whole bunch of equipment that gets set up for every game that gets thrown into a trunk. And then I got to get the game up online, um, get it to the coaches. You know, we share it out to our players, um, and all those things and not having to worry about 
doing that in 35 minutes to get to the bus so we can get to the plane so we can get to the next you know hotel to play the next day in another city um was 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 good uh, from the logistics standpoint and then like i said on the hockey side um i felt like you could be more efficient because you you knew what to expect so you could it was a lot more casually watching the other teams play in our division um, once you got to a certain point in the season, it wasn't as, as entire, uh, and maybe the, even the energy level invested in watching the other team wasn't as high. That said, you know, we joked about it kind of going before the playoffs. We didn't watch the other divisions. Um, you know, you would see highlights and maybe you'd catch a period here or there because there was a game on and, and there wasn't going in anything in the Canadian division, but the Canadian division was playing all the time. So there was almost always a game to watch. Um, and you were almost always playing a team sometime you know not too far away so um you didn't have as much exposure to all the other teams so you know we did going into the playoffs and then obviously we had to play canadian teams in the first two rounds and you know hoping that we got by you know when i was prepping for the next series after montreal um you know colorado or vegas and and doing the due diligence on both those teams as the montreal series was going on getting as much information as we could about them but um you know, it was kind of more like our first pre-scouts of the seasons that we would normally do in a regular season, as opposed to, um, the typical playoff stuff, because we had no video of our own to draw from. We had no, you know, competition between those teams. So it would have been a little bit of a different situation. That's why, you know, some of those series started a little bit weird, um, in terms of how, how things happen, you know, game one to game two, how different things were. Um, I think there was a little bit of a, we haven't played these guys. We don't know what to expect. And then things really drastically change in game two. So it, it was, it was a interesting season, you know, from a format, I think probably a lot of the coaches and trainers and staff would love to play more teams back to back like that in the same city and not travel just because of it. It It's just a better life kind of on the, on the, on the away from the hockey side. Um, and, and I think it probably provides a bit better, um, when you're playing those teams a lot, um, I think there's obviously that rivalry that happens just on the ice between the players and it gives a little bit of a different kind of um, feel to the games, which was maybe hard to see this year because not having fans in the buildings, um, you know, sometimes the games looked a little bit de- uh, dead and maybe on TV, but um, there's a lot of guys that uh, maybe in the past we wouldn't have understood how they play all the time you know on a game by game basis because you watch them you know especially the east we play them a couple times a year so you're watching them far less um that you really come to appreciate how hard they play all the time because you've played them that many times and the guys don't like playing against them and when guys don't like playing against guys that normally means that they're (laughs) going pretty hard so it was a really interesting um interesting season in terms of the structure of it obviously um the the reason why we had to do it was not great but it was totally different from uh from how we normally operate so it was it was interesting to go through and hopefully it's a once in a lifetime thing um you know in the grand scheme of things now yeah definitely i I think it's uh you know so interesting just hearing the the behind the scenes uh kind of perspective on it obviously as you mentioned it was a a very uh tough situation you know with covid you, you definitely don't want to see that again but um, you know, maybe some things to, to look at in the future, kind of staying in the city a little bit longer, definitely less stress on the road and um, just the way that the pre-scouts are assembled and 
uh, the feeling out process in the third round. I think a lot of people did notice that, and and now uh, it makes a little bit more sense on why that might have been the case. And you see some of those series shift as they go. So um, great comments there, and, and just some great perspectives on on the season and that process for the listener question. Uh, you know, working with elite players in in Winnipeg, uh, we talked about Rockford and just some of the the high level guys that you were able to see there. But in Winnipeg, a number of other uh, great players: Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor. Uh, Mark Shifley, you know, such a long list. A couple guys that played in Newfoundland, uh, Hellebuck and, and Lowry are two players that I monitor a little closely as well. And, uh, you know, just so many great players on that team. Maybe speak to the commitment to their games that you see uh, from the player development standpoint and just how, um, you know, how polished their games have got as of late. And then even maybe just talk about uh, how players are adapting to video on a daily basis, which is a, a commitment we're seeing here more recently. Yeah, we're pretty blessed uh, with the Jets in terms of how the team has kind of moved from, um, you know, when they returned and then uh, when I came on board in 14-15, you know, we made the playoffs that year, but we were a totally different team in terms of player structure than we are now. Um, We made that playoff kind of, you know, we ended up getting swept by Anaheim, but we made that, that team made the playoffs because, they just committed to working hard and and doing all the like really hard things all the time um and we had a whole bunch of players that did that really well um and it's involved it's evolved over the time and how players look at the video and use video as well so part of um what we do and kind of the integration with our software um i can send video directly up to um huddle.com and we can distribute that out all to the players post game and they can watch their shifts um there's you know and there's a, it's kind of an interesting um, split of players who watch things and, and you kind of talked about their commitment to their game uh, and how they do things. There's different coaches, there's different players that um, work with, you know, individual skills coaches to work on specific things. So, you know, they all do video outside of what we do, um, but we're sending out them video kind of from the team's perspective. So, um, they can watch their shifts. They can watch face-offs. They can really watch whatever they want to watch. Specifically, we can send them information um, very easily. It comes to their phone or iPad or computer or whatever. However they want to view it, they can see it right away. Um, and these guys are committed. Um, you know, Blake Wheeler, um, and I know, you know, Paul's talked about it in the past, you know, in the media. Uh, there's a guy that works hard all the time, and he just he wants – he works so hard all the time on and on and off the ice. He, he wants, he wants to win. Um, and he, he's working, he's always working on things. So he's open to, um, getting certain things. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, Adam Lowry, uh, Lowes watches, it would, would be up there in the guys that watch video quite a bit. Um, you know, he's a really intelligent player and he wants to see specific things in the video. There's a, there's an interesting thing. These guys are, um, they're in the NHL for a reason. They are elite and, uh, they see things that make them elite that, I mean, I never played pro hockey, so I don't see some of the things they see. And even, even the coaches, our coaches have been around a long time, but sometimes player perspective is interesting on video, um, to see what they think about it. And I think we're trying to cultivate the back and forth of that more as well. Um, in terms of, of players, um, coaches leading meetings. So we do obviously individual meetings with players in terms of pre-scout, post-game reviews, power play, penalty kill, all those things, but also having interaction with players um, in those settings, um, I think is starting to become a bigger thing. I know 
kind of some of the things that I've seen with other sports outside of what I, you know, outside of hockey, um, you know, soccer's really, really big into that, um, of having more player interaction to the coaches and kind of going back and forth on that. So I think video helps to do that. Um, there's, there's a split of guys. Some guys don't watch video and, and that's the way they choose to do things. Obviously I'm going to give everybody the option to do it because that's, that's good for, um, what I do. Um, but you know, it's kind of a split. You have, uh, you know, a third of the team that watches video religiously, kind of a third that's in the middle where they watch it a lot or they watch it kind of, you know, at average amount of time. And then there's a group that just doesn't watch video and it, each of those players kind of looks at what they need to do to be their best. And they make that decision and, you know, they're, they're adults and elite players. So they kind of, they know what they need and, and they kind of fill that role, um, you know, you mentioned Connor Hellebuck too. I think goalies probably watch more video than anybody, um, especially one-on-one with our goaltending, you know, our goaltending coach, Wade Flaherty. You know, they're spending a lot of time, you know, watching what they do um, as an overview all the time. And, you know, Connor Hellebuck, there's a reason why he's, um, you know, been a Vesna winner and, and candidate and been one of the best goalies in the NHL because he's, constantly wants to get better and and he does use video as a tool to do that um so they all all these guys that are in the nhl they're they're so talented and they do have a commitment to to always want to get better that's what's interesting about them is they're not satisfied with uh you know just kind of staying at that level they always want to get better the constant improvement definitely is a is a major factor in you know why they are so, so successful and uh, definitely interesting in hearing there you know there is a divide like anything in any level I, I know even coaching AAA recently I I've seen that as well and then uh, the goaltenders definitely wanting to have that uh, that focus as well video being um, such a key uh, you know impactful thing that they can use in that position and. Uh, you know, in addition to your video, um, you know, analytics, as we touched on here, is something that you're very invested in and uh, takes up a lot of your time. Without being maybe too specific, how often do you find yourself focusing on that part of the game specifically? And uh, do you have any advice maybe for people who are looking to infuse it in their own programs? It's, um, yeah, it's become a, uh, as I've been in my position, it's it's evolved over time into being more, um of what I do on a day-to-day basis. So I'm, I'm fortunate because I work with a lot of really good people and we have a really good, um, you know, analytics department. Maybe we, we don't get a lot of necessarily public recognition on it, but, um, whether that's good or bad. Um, but we have a good group of guys there and, uh, uh, Max, Adam, James, Jordy, um, the group of them, um, where I interact with them daily on various things that we're doing. Um, so, you know, we're looking at information that we've processed. We're looking at, um, processes to create thing, uh, to look at how we're evaluating data, um, how, how we evaluate it properly looking at, um, you know, things that we determine to be KPIs, you know, I'm, I'm referencing things all the time, you know, uh, this past year. So I, I kind of sought tell sought taught myself R um over the past couple of years got proficient enough in R that I can hack together some stuff we got some really good some people that are really good um in R and Python that can do a lot more than I can um the last year we made a decision to to start using Power BI a lot more um so 
I've gotten more into creating visualizations and dashboards, which are interactive. Um, so that, and we're at a point where we're, we're still working on that, but to roll that out to whoever needs them. So they have an interactive way to use data. And then also going back to that video part of it, um, making kind of things similar in our dashboards and reports that we create, um, also recreating that in sports code so that when you're looking at a report, you can, uh, get information, but also directly get video from it. Um, I think the, you know, the, the idea or advice of people looking to implement it is that, People, I think, have the wrong impression of analytics. They, some people will get worried about the math or the numbers. Um, in reality, there's a certain way to explain it. It's not overly complex. It's just you're measuring different things. And then there are some complex things where you're measuring um, if that thing is valuable or not, or how does it relate, or is it predictive, or those kind of things. And that gets a little bit more complex. But I think really trying to explain and have a really good understanding yourself of, of what you're trying to, what kind of data you're trying to give somebody. If you understand it yourself and you can explain it within two minutes and the other person gets it, that's what you want. Um, and I think you need to start realistic in terms of how much can I do or what do I want to do? So you need a goal you need to look at, okay, this is what I would like to accomplish this is the information that I want to do. How do I do it? What's the process to do that? Can I do it timely? Um, can I, can I process whatever I want to, and then get it so that I can always present that information because you may have the best thing you may have what you think is the best thing ever, but if it takes you, you know, 10 days to get that information and you needed it eight days ago, then it really doesn't help you, um, to, to make decisions or whatever you wanted to use that information for. So I would think, you know, have a goal going into it, make sure it's timely, make sure you can explain it. Um, and then really what you do, and, and it's kind of what I do in a lot of different things is that I'm trying to sell, uh, you know, I'm trying to sell something to whoever I'm giving it to. So whether it's, I'm teaching them about something new in sports code that I think they might like, um, or if it's something on the analytics side where I think this is important information at the beginning, you can't go to the end. You have to start small and you have to get it so that, um, people come to you. That's what you want. You want to create the relationship. You want to give them enough where they're like, where they're, they, it piques their interest. And then instead of you giving them stuff, now they're coming to you to request stuff, which changes the dynamic because now you're not giving them something and people can get a little defensive at, at times. Um, when you give them something and maybe it contradicts something they, that they think. Um, and that's not bad because sometimes, Hey, yeah, everybody, not, you're not right all the time on everything. And that's for, for anybody. Um, but when you're not right, you do at times get defensive. So if you can make a relationship where you give somebody something and it's small and all of a sudden they start to build that trust with you. And I mentioned that earlier, that trust is really important. And all of a sudden over time, what you're going to find is that instead that once that trust relationship's there, it's going to come the other way. And, and I'm, I'm at that point, you know, where I'm at right now, where, um, with the, with the coaching staff we have and, and with our, with our analytics group, um, that they're coming to seek information from us, um, which is a, which is a good thing for us. And I think that's kind of where you want to be in at the end is, is that you want those people to seek out that information. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a great point there. And just talking about, uh, you know, building that trust and, and when you know, people are coming to you, it, it definitely, 
uh, kind of justifies your efforts in a sense. And and while there's definitely times where things won't agree and and maybe uh, hard conversations will have to be made just because you get contradicting points and, and you know people's ideals, that's that's something we see at the, the highest levels for sure. Um, you know, it, it's definitely uh, starts conversation and trends in the right direction. And, uh, you know, that's something that you were able to see here more recently at the NHL level and just, uh, you know, changing from a position where you're constantly supplying as uh, and now kind of uh, being in a position where they're coming to you. Uh, just looking maybe at a general overview of hockey operations and piece of, I know we've talked a lot about the video specifically. What was the biggest adjustment in moving from the AHL level to the NHL level? Uh, maybe it's schedule or, or just the general, um, you know, the way coaches interact or just kind of why are your thoughts on that area? Yeah, I kind of touched on it earlier. I think for me personally, it was that schedule was just so much different than the American League from what I was doing and the demands on your time, like time management becomes uh, really, really important. And, you know, being organized is super important. I'm not like, I'm not a naturally um I'm not a naturally organized person. I know that kind of sounds weird to say. I know that's one of my weaknesses is staying organized. So I have to try and, you know, implement things into what I do to make sure that I stay on top of that. Uh, so I guess being aware of that is, is a good thing. Um, but that schedule was, was, was pretty crazy. I think um, being in Canada and working in a Canadian market, um, the outside pressure is different and, and we're in Winnipeg. So we have a certain level of pressure. I think, you know, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, they, Ottawa, they all have their different pressures, but I think being in Canada is, is a different experience. Um, and it's great when you're, it's great when you're doing well and you're successful and it, it can be not great when you're not. Uh, and I would say, you know, the majority of the people out there are, are really supportive of things, but, um, that was a different experience and not that it weighs on, on me a lot, but it was just a different experience kind of feeling that because in Rockford, um, you know, you're the only thing in town and people were super excited about the ice hogs all the time. They, they wanted to go there, have a good time. The winning wasn't necessarily, um, as important. So that was, that was a definite change. And the reality that when you get to the NHL, um, you're there to win, you know, that, that is your, there, there's, uh, there's other aspects and, you know, developing players at, still at that level, developing people, those are all important aspects, but the ultimate goal is you're hired to win. Um, and you, you can see with the, uh, with how the NHL turns over, um, coaches and, and things now that that's just as apparent as ever that, you know, there's not, you don't have a long time to do it. So getting that coming to that, realization and moving from that was different um you know but that the logistics of the schedule was the shocking one for me for the most part yeah the schedule is a uh, is daunting for sure and uh, at least you had uh, a little bit of, of a better adjustment we've heard other guests talk about the college schedule today NHL schedule and um definitely a, a nightmare situation there but uh you know you're able to successfully make those adjustments and have an, and enjoyed your time in winnipeg here and, and been successful at that level uh, before we move into some reflective questions, maybe I'll just uh, throw it over to the other listener question about the Simpsons moments, and and maybe you can share a little bit of insight into uh, maybe that inside joke from the communications department. Yeah, that came from uh, Gregor um, Buer in our communications uh, department. So, um, big fan of the Simpsons growing up. I think a lot of people in my kind of age bracket, um, Simpsons played a role. So the Simpsons quotes get thrown around a lot. Um, there's a, there's a pretty good scene. If you look up, uh, put it in H, um, 
uh, Simpsons clips, just Google that. You'll come up with a clip. Um, and that's kind of the, uh, you know, it's the third period. Um, we're down a goal. We got to put it in H cause we need a goal. We need to score a goal to, you know, tie it up. Right. That's the, that's kind of the clip. So, um, we, you know, having fun is important. I think, uh, especially in the, it's a pretty stressful job. I'm not going to lie. There's, there's some stress to what we do. Um, even though we get to, you know, work in a hockey environment, there, there's stress there. Um, but <laughs> being able to have fun is really important too. So I think that, that it's a good question because it highlights that, um, maybe sometimes in the media, like people are pretty guarded. The perception is pretty guarded, but you, having fun is maybe one of the most important things to the whole, to the whole thing. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, um, uh, that's, that's not good. Um, and you, you, to be successful as a team, you need all your, you know, you need all the people to kind of be on board and, and enjoy that and have fun. And that, and I think it's, it's a good, it, it seems like an innocuous question, but it, it is a good question. Cause you can, we do have fun and I have fun with the people I work with and, and that that's important to me. And I wouldn't want to be in an environment where I wasn't having fun. Um, so, so that's uh good on Gregor for throwing that one out there. Yeah. I always love hearing the, uh, the different questions come in. Sometimes you never really know what direction it's going to go in, but um, I, I like the fact that you did talk about just the, the importance of having fun. And to be honest with you, if you're working in hockey and, and not enjoying the day-to-day grind and the, the interactions, with, especially with players, as you know, guys like Andrew Shaw, you can have a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's definitely, uh, if, if you're not having fun, it's not the industry you should be in, but uh, kind of moving into now the reflective, as we always do on the podcast, um, one of the things we like to share with listeners is, is resources and whether it's books, articles, uh, presentations, you know, conferences, like you said, uh, some things that you like to attend um, just to kind of further their knowledge in the game or, or coaching or whatever the case may be. So for you personally, what are some resources that you might like to recommend to uh, listeners of the podcast today? Well, I mean, obviously the Hockey Minds podcast, there's a, there's a lot of great content here. So you got to just keep dialed in on that. Um but, uh, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different resources I use. One of the, one of the things that I like to do is, um, set up, uh, if you haven't used TweetDeck on Twitter, um, check it out, but searching for specific words that I might have interest in, um, data visualization or R or sports code and kind of looking through to see what people are posting publicly because, there's a lot of smart people that in, are in a whole bunch of different professions where you can say, Hey, I like this visualization that somebody's done for, um, you know, in the medical field, maybe this applies to me. So I, I do like to look outside of, um, just hockey and get outside the bubble. I think that's an important thing. And I use Twitter a lot to do that, to be able to look at those kind of things. I think if you haven't, um, and I'm sure there's the people that have, are follow analytics more, but the big data cup was put on by Stathletes um, earlier in the year. I can't remember exactly when it was. We were fortunate enough that we were able to judge, um, be judges in that. So our whole group uh, analytics team and, and myself were part of that. Um, and we saw some really good papers there. I think some of the presentations are on YouTube. I don't know if all the papers are accessible or not. Um, but it was the uh, Ottawa Analytics Conference. So I think if you look that up, um, there's a lot of really good papers there and some really, really quality submissions. So if you're looking for a more technical side of things, um, go check that out for sure because uh, there's some really, really good stuff there. Um, on the, sp- the kind of the video side of things, I think I think he's been on, Ian, with um, 
he has the at video coaches handle on Twitter. Um, there's just, he did, he's done a great job of kind of bringing more awareness to the profession, I would guess. So there's, he, he, he'll throw some things out there where, um, you'll see something and it's interesting. He's got some interesting perspectives and congrats to him because he's moving to, uh, Abbotsford to be a video coach in the American league. So he's starting that journey. Um, but, uh, I mean, if you're talking about, uh, just not even hockey related. Um, I get so much information from YouTube nowadays in a whole bunch of different facets. There's just so much information out there and the search is actually quite good. So using YouTube as a resource to gain information is, is, um, super beneficial to me in terms of anything that I do. Um, you know, when you're looking on the video side and hardware, you're looking for what, what's the next thing that I should get. Um, finding people that have used it before is, is a good way to do that and seeing it on video and, and getting that kind of visual feedback for me is really good. So, I mean, I know it's a pretty general kind of statement to say, use YouTube, but, um, if you're not, you should be, uh, and then that's kind of where I'm at with that. No, I, I think it's really important to, uh, to kind of use all those, uh, platforms. I think Twitter, um, for, for hockey anyway, has kind of, uh, taken on a life of its own and, and sometimes you can, um, get yourself in an interesting situation going down a rabbit hole there, but there is a lot of, uh, of good information that can be found in YouTube. Definitely a lot of presentations, a lot of, uh, tutorials, you know, in, in Isolac is another one that I talk about when talking about analytics, just some of the, um, even just Tableau and R, some of the quick presentations they have on there is very, uh, good for people looking to enter in that field. But I, I think you mentioned a lot of great things and definitely, uh, give another shout out to Ian for his, uh, promotion there at Abbotsford he, as he kind of moves forward in that direction. Uh, you know, throughout your career, you've been able to work with a lot of great coaches and, and meet a lot of great people, and, and whether that's in school or um, outside of the game or in the game as well, um, who kind of mentored you in a way and pushed you along in your career. So just looking at everything in general, um, who are some of the key mentors who helped you and uh, what are some of the major lessons that they taught you collectively? It's an interesting question. I know when you kind of, uh, sent out the list before, um, it's, it's, I don't know if I have what I would say, what a lot of people have in a direct mentor, um, in that I have somebody that I, that I use in that role all the time. Um, but you kind of alluded to it, being able to work with different people, um, and being able to see and see what they do really well and, and think about the idea of how do I incorporate that into the things that I do um, is is something that I've tried to be cognizant of doing uh, kind of as I've went through kind of all the path, paths that I've went down. So, you know, you start kind of on the bottom end of my parents um, in, you know, work ethic and the idea of, of working hard and, and, and going for those kind of things. And, and then also taking enjoyment in it as well. Like being happy with what you're doing is important. So I think, you know, from that standpoint and from that parental guidance, uh, that that's an important thing, you know, directly on the hockey side, the coaches that you work with, I mean, so Ted Dent, um, Steve pops, uh, Ben Simon, Andrew Allen, um, some of those guys moved on into the NHL. Uh, ben is the head coach in Grand Rapids. Each of those guys had things that they did really well um, that, you know, maybe I got a fraction of that 
into into how I think about things and, and moving to the NHL and um, Paul Maurice. It's you really uh, an all as an all around person and all around head coach. Um, it's impressive to be able to see, and I'm really fortunate to see how he approaches things. Um, it's hard to it's hard to really describe it to people outside of it. I, I think it got kind of pumped. I think it got a little bit of publicity at the end of the season when um, Paul Stastny had his thousandth game, and and Paul they talked about the speech that Paul gave before the game, and I'm th- I'm thinking back to it right now. I'm getting a little, I'm getting goosebumps because that's how good of it that's how good it was, and he's and he's like that in a lot of different areas. That's that's one of the jobs that he does. But seeing how he can do that and seeing how he relates to people, I think is a really big thing that I've learned from Paul. Uh, you know, Jamie Compon, unbelievable worker. Um, I think Todd Woodcroft was on here earlier, and I know Todd and Jamie had worked a long time, and I think Todd probably said some pretty good things about Jamie. But Jamie is there's I don't think you can find a person that dedicates more to hockey and what he does and seeing the things that he's able to do with it and the knowledge that he has is, is outstanding. Uh, Charlie Huddy, I mean, how, where do you go with Charlie Huddy? He's been in the game for so long, um, over 3000 games between coaching and hockey, like playing winning Stanley cups in that era, seeing how, I think the the great thing about Charlie is, is how he relates to players. Um, and, and he obviously comes from a total, he, he has all that experience. So being able to see him, relate to a player where I didn't play in the league and seeing how he's, he, he's able to do that and not necessarily talk about when he played, but how he approaches things. Um, it's impressive. Um, so it being able to, I think the big thing with it, and and like I said, I don't have a specific mentor, but being able to, to identify potentially where maybe your weaknesses are or where you'd like to get better and pick out those individual pieces, I think is really important. And, um, I think all those people that I've been around, especially in hockey, have been important. And I haven't even gone to the huddle guys. I think one guy I'd be remiss to say that I haven't said is is Walt Rock. Um, he was an NBA video coach. I think he would be the, I don't know what you want to call him, the God, godfather of sports code. I've never seen somebody who's so proficient at using something. Um, it's actually amazing the way that Every conversation I have with Walt, even to this day, and even that I would say I'm above average in terms of how I use the software, um, I learn something new in every conversation I have with Walt. So um, there's a guy that certainly I don't I don't have a lot of conversations with him, but when I do, they're super valuable. So um, I think finding those people that you can do that kind of stuff um, is really important. And I guess I'd be remiss to say too, um, you know, not necessarily a mentor, but having really good family support is important. And I have a wife who's been on the journey with me throughout. So we started dating in high school. So we were 17. So we actually this year spent half our life together and she's made the transition through, you know, me going on being a scientist to becoming a kid who was going to Ontario and leaving her to be in sports for some reason, to moving to the United States and then, you know, getting a job in the American league, leaving and her coming down to the U S with me and then coming back to Winnipeg and living in her hometown and being in the NHL. So, um, and we have two, two great kids, um, now. And, uh, obviously I don't think I'd be where I'm at without her, uh, as well. Well, a great statement to make there. Uh, the family support, a lot of people uh, realize it is, is so key. And, and for those, um, you know, just, just knowing the, the daily grind 
of the game it uh, you know it takes its toll but when you have those people in your corner and people in the game who are uh you know willing to lend their guidance and you know maybe not a, a quote-unquote mentorship role but uh, still that peer-to-peer connection and just being able to be around people in their presence you can learn a lot through that as well um as a final question here on the podcast as we ask everybody what's one piece of advice that you would have for someone who's looking to enter hockey operations and maybe more specifically video coaching and look to be successful in that role. One piece of advice. That's it's, it's tough. There's, there's so many things. I think the biggest thing is, um, don't worry about when the opportunity is going to come, um, be ready for it when it does. Um, that's how, I've kind of progressed through this. I may not have had all the skill set that you'd nef- necessarily say, Hey, um, this guy is the perfect candidate for this job based on his resume. Um, but when the thing, when it came to doing what I needed to do, I was able to work my way through it and, um, you know, prove that I was, was that person. So I don't know if you necessarily need to worry about where it, when it's going to come, but just being ready in whatever way you think you provide that. So being ready in whatever, whatever, and it's not the best way to say it, but knowing your strengths and then being able to use that, um, when that opportunity comes, I think is is super important. Um, if you could say a second piece on that, and I think you kind of alluded to it as well is throwing yourself out there. Um, you know, the networking thing is important and I, I'm, I'm not a great networker personally, Um, but I think it's, it is important. And then creating some sort of value in that connection, I think is important too. Um, cause I get a lot of people sending me messages even now about wanting to connect, but every once in a while, there's one where they say something and it, for whatever reason it clicks and then you remember them at some other point and you never know when that's going to come up. So, um, being ready for those opportunities and, and, um, make those connections cause those connections prop could at some point lead to those opportunities. Great advice there. And just being ready. And, uh, you know, as we've said over and over again in this interview and in numerous interviews before that opportunity comes, uh, when you least expect it. So just be ready and trust your instincts and, and work hard until, uh, that day comes, Matt really enjoyed the conversation. And, and, you know, as I recently joined the video coaching community in, in a more prominent role, it's uh, it's great to learn from you and, and, and follow along your career. So I wish you all the best moving forward and, and best of luck with the uh, next season and the upcoming uh, journey for you as well. Yeah. Thanks a lot. It's always good to uh, get some more people in the uh, video coaching fraternity. So I uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, hopefully um, people can see it some value. If they want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter um, at Matt Briefy on Twitter. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always open to talking with different people, no matter, um, who's listening. Um, I'm always open to new ideas, so feel free to reach out. Yeah, we'll definitely get that out to people and, and share your information and, and thanks again and all the best. Thank you. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue.
If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Matt for joining me on the podcast and talking about his career and current NHL role. We've yet to have an NHL video coach on the podcast, so for providing so much insight into his role and the team setting, I would like to once again thank him. If you would like to get in touch with Matt to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Tune in to our next episode to hear from more outstanding hockey operations personnel like Matt as we have an outstanding lineup of scouts, coaches, and more on tap in the coming weeks. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today and for continually listening to the podcast. Be sure to check out our social media platforms and let us know what content you would like to see moving forward. As always, stay safe and all the best.